Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have a few minutes now to try to do the Parsha podcast today, get in early. Um, this week, of course, being Parsha B'chukosa and the Tovacha, obviously. They fix the calendar in such a way, the Gemara says that you do the Tocha before Shavuos. Anyway, um, I know coincidences out there, but this has been a very coincidental time for me in terms of the Tocha. Uh, because the first thing that strikes the Tocha is the Holocaust. That's the one we had recently, and that's where all this stuff came true, down to the details. At least that's what my father used to tell me. He was there. Now, um, so happened this past Monday and Tuesday, a couple of days ago, I went twice, led two groups to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. First, a bunch of Satmar women from Williamsburg as a trip. And uh, so these would be children of survivors. And then some high school boys, TA boys, on Tuesday, which is obviously a different population. And at the most, they might have, some might have grandparents, great-grandparents, that went to the war, went through the war. So I've been OD'd on the Holocaust Museum, and speaking about it, during this past week, and here we are at the Tokyo, just so happens to be, I didn't plan it this way, happens to be the week of Bukhukosa, that's weird, uh, and focuses the mind. But that's not all. I'm writing a little article now for uh, my wife's magazine about... This new business that you see that all the doc- concentration camp documents have now been released online, called the Arrelson, uh documents, if you look them up. Because they used to be located in a place in Germany called Bad Arlson, uh, which is in the center of Germany. And I don't know, they Yad Vashem and others got together and, and put the whole doggone thing online. And so my sister, right away this past week, in Bomer, immediately located and sent it to me. Here's daddy, here's daddy's wife, here's this, that. You see all the German documents, and so the Holocaust is sort of like come kind of fresh in a personal way to me. Once again, just before you read Pasha B'chukai, it's very weird. And I'm writing about it this morning, so it's uh, double weird. And the reason I say it's weird is because, <clears throat> you know, there's the, the meaning of the Tochacha, whether here in Dvorim, is as follows. The Jewish people are destined to undergo holocausts. That, that's what that means. You know, because it says, if you go with me in the good way, everything will be good in a very great way, but if you don't, then you'll really pay. Well, nobody's going to be good all the time. And cholesterol certainly hasn't been good all the time. And therefore, it's sort of foreshadowed that you're going to have holocausts. Now, from a very firm theological perspective, what it means is, and this is a conundrum I'm bringing up, what it means is that... Uh, when these misfortunes strike, don't think uh, this is a challenge to Judaism. It was already predicted beforehand that it's going to happen. You understand? For example, if a Christian would say, just for argument's sake, 
or Muslims. See, you had all these terrible sufferings in this century and in that century. Doesn't that show you God doesn't like you? The counter answer is, no, no, no. It's all part of the Chumash. It's all predicted. God still likes us. The only thing is, he says, when you screw up, I'm going to get you. And that's uh, an answer. And And from a theological, philosophical perspective, I get it. And it also has the advantage of giving meaning to suffering. The worst thing in the world is when people suffer and there's no reason for it whatsoever. It appears to be no reason whatsoever. Take, for example, atheists who get stricken with a terrible illness. It's just a bummer, you know? In other words, mathematically, contingently, it was going to hit somebody somewhere and happened to be this person. And so he's going to have to be a real stoic to be able to handle that. Because they'll say, why me? There's no meaning to the suffering. By contrast, religion, and especially Judaism, always indicates there's a reason, there's a meaning for the suffering. It could be punishing, it could be purgative, it could be a lot of different things. But there's a meaning behind it. So people yearn for meaning for suffering. It's a basic human need. It's just very interesting. Now, in the case of the Tocha, if you are simplistic, for example, you read the biblical stories, like in the Nach, then it'll say like this, the Jewish people were good, they worshipped God, times were good. Times were bad, then they got punished, and this catastrophe hit them, and that one, Tisha B'Av and Jewish literature, rabbinic literature, Torah literature kind of specializes in trying to provide reasons uh, for catastrophes. They're so far removed from us, we don't know what to do with them. Uh, they say the base of Israel was destroyed because people didn't make a bracha on the Torah, or shalobercho bebracha tchila. What does that mean? Because they didn't make a bracha, all these people got killed in the time of the of uh, Titus. And, you know, the average from person said, yeah. Because he doesn't know all the suffering that went along over there. And it's always possible to say, you don't know how big a hate is. There's, of course, truth to that. But there's got to be some sense of proportionality, one would think. And then you say, I guess, no, it doesn't. God is beyond your proportionality. Well, then what's the point of setting up this whole paradigm? So you see what I'm saying when I say this is a conundrum? On the one hand, we're told from the beginning, the very essence of the idea of Tocha is, there's a reason for what misfortune strike. And yet, on the other hand, it's not so easy to say, well, now, like, like you have almost a schedule. This and this happened, that's because of that and that. Now, I'll repeat, the Tanakh is written in such a way that, yes, it will give you a reason why the base of were destroyed, or why the Jewish people went into exile. That is true. It does say so. Uh, the books of the Tanakh are full of that. It is also true that in the Talmud, they are full of that. They'll say, why do Rabbi keep his students die? Because they didn't give each other COVID. Even though you might say, I guess, that's the reason everybody, 24,000 should die. No, no, it's not a question. That's uh, Since the Talmud is an authoritative text, so then the person says, fine, at least I have Tanoim, Amroim, great people, we ascribe them a fantastic insight, and so they're telling you the reason. Now, my friends, let's switch to the 20th century, the time that you and I are living, 20th, 21st century. We never know Nevi'im today. So you tell me why the 6 million were killed. It's actually five and a half, but whatever. He says, you tell me why they're killed and why they went through all this suffering. Now, this is the conundrum. This is the, the problem. On the one hand, a person wants to have a reason, and the Tochacha indicates that there's no big catastrophe, and the Holocaust certainly was a catastrophe of Tochacha proportions, if you have any idea what happened over there. It was the worst thing ever happened in Jewish history. So if that don't qualify for Tochacha, what does? So the, on the Parshish Bechukos, I says it's going to happen for this reason or that reason. 
And yet, on the other hand, anybody who lived through the period or afterwards, they don't accept that. You understand? It's only people in America nowadays, you know, sitting back from the fat perspective of America, people can pontificate. And they'll say, oh, the European Jews did this or they did that, as if you're better than they are. Everybody knows there are plenty from people back in Europe, there are plenty non from people. And same thing in America. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's too glib, like the friends of Job, who try to give glib reasons for Job's suffering, Eov. Uh, they're a bunch of fromies. That's the way they present themselves. And Eov blows them away. And it says in the book of Job, by the way, that God did not approve of the glib. It says that, that God did not approve of the glib manner in which they reacted to the suffering of Eov. So you can't just hit her and say, oh, the German Jews were like this. Here's a classic one. The German Jews started the assimilation, the Haskola began in Berlin, and therefore the German Jews got it worse. But the problem with that is empirically it doesn't even work out. Because if you get down to a little bit of facts about the Holocaust, the German Jews got up better than many others. Most of the German Jews actually survived when you do the numbers and you realize that a greater proportion of them were able to emigrate than others. Oh, there were many German Jews, no question about it, that suffered horribly, and plenty of Kedoshim, but there were also plenty not. Now, I'm contrasting that, for example, with Polish Jews, Lithuanian Jews, Hungarian Jews, and that sort of thing, in which they took it right in the kisser. You know, they, uh, I was just writing about this. Out of 210,000 Jews in, listen to this, out of 210,000 Jews in Lithuania, about 15,000 survived the war. You hear that? About 195,000 or approximately were killed. That's crazy. I happen to know this figure. I don't know why it sticks in my mind. Not a single Jewish child survived in Latvia. So the Latvian Jews are worse than the German Jews. You, you get what I'm saying? Actually, they were from her if you want to get down to it. Uh, how come all the Ger Hasinim got killed? How come all the Belzer Hasinim got killed? They were from her if you regard halachic observance and dress and that sort of things as indications of from Kite. So how come the German Jews got off better than the Belzer Hasinim? You know, you start asking those kind of questions. And at that point, the person, the firm seller, goes, well, we don't know the reason. Well, once you know the reason, why well, you give me a reason in the first place? Then why the glib reasons? Why do you say because the German Jews were like this, or the European Jews were like this, or they stopped keeping Shabbos in, in Kovna and Lithuania in the 1920s, and they had boys and girls mixed, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zionist groups. And what happened over here in the other communities where you didn't have it, and the people were very pious and very from it, and, 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 and they got wiped out. What I'm trying to say is when you actually get down to the level of facts, then all the grand theses and theories kind of break down. And the person falls back and says, well, we know now how Shalom operates. So if you know how Shalom operates, which is true, then why are you opening your big fat mouth in the first place? So this is a, like a real problem we always have a thought, an understanding person will have every year. And by the way, that's assuming that from is defined as the externals of Frumkite. That a person, you know, dresses like a religious Jew, goes to shul, puts on fill and all the rest of it. Some of you may or may not be aware of the fact that Rabbi Weissmandel, Rabbi Weissmandel, the central figure, one of the central figures in the Holocaust, can't get firmer than him. I, I, and that's not a joke. I mean that literally. Uh, in Slovakia, he said after the war, it's written in one of his farm, that, in, he, that he was bothered by what I just told you. And he was in Slovakia where they're very from and they got it on the kisser and the German Jews, relatively speaking, got it less. And see, and he was a profoundly religious and very, extremely honest person. 
he really was the epitome of Dover, Shkarm, Logik, and Lenegadene, how's it go? You know, no lies. And he uh, conjectured, because that's all you can do. And he says, you know, maybe the German Jews were more honest in business and cheated the Geisha customers less than the uh, Hasidim and the Belgian Jews and the Hungarian Jews. Whoa! So all of a sudden you're telling me the standard of Frumkite, which determines whether or not you're going to be suffering in the Holocaust, is whether or not you were honest mm-hmm. in business? That's a very interesting perspective. Now, if I said it, that'd be so unbelievably glib, that's ridiculous. And I wouldn't. But Roy Weissmith was right in the middle of it. Now, I'm not saying he's right, I'm saying wrong, because the whole point is, how can you say anybody's right? Nobody knows. Here you end up with the great conundrum of uh, Kosai. There's a reason, but we don't know the reason. Anybody offers a reason, since they don't know, so it sounds too self-serving. The only reason I'm, that would impress me is if somebody blamed himself. If a person says, I feel that I suffered in all costs, because I did this and this and this, I have respect for that opinion. It might be right, it might not, it might be wrong, but the person at least is speaking in terms of self-confession. As soon as you give me the confession of somebody else, you know what I say? You undertake to confess on behalf of somebody else. It's not a confession anymore. That you're a faker, or you're not a faker. You're not a faker. There are some big rabbis that try to do this. But you're taking the easy way. You know, you're looking to, in the words of John Milton, to justify the ways of God to man. I get that, but you've got to make a good case. Otherwise, it's not truth. It's just you're trying to win a game. You know, it's, it's like presidential debates. You're just trying to score points. Uh, the Frum are very uncomfortable with the Holocaust because you have the question, why did the rabbi say don't leave? Or some said leave, some said don't leave. And then you get into that. And uh, the Satmar are all very uncomfortable with the Holocaust because the Satmar rabbi got out on the Zionist train. You know, I understand all the very specific local and, and immediate problems that a close historical inspection of the actual events of the Holocaust leads to. But if that's so then you should do what people really did after the war, the smart people, it's like this. We don't know the answer. There's a reason we don't know, we know the reason. You know, we don't know the reason. And we wouldn't be so uh, disgusting as to offer a reason when we don't know it because it'll probably not be true and be self-justifying. Just say we don't know. But on the other hand, in this day and age, to say you don't know kind of indicates it just happened. And that's precisely what Parshas Pachukai say, say, you better not say. Because do you read the Parsha? Take a look. Each time God says, if you go with me, Bekeri, I'll go with you, Bechamas Keri. The word Keri appears a lot. And Keri means, you just say it happened by happenstance, by coincidence, by contingency. It's just Stama the Velterine. And Hashem says, I can't stand that. If you take that attitude, that will increase the Holocaust to make it even worse. You have to recognize that everything coming from Hashem is coming there as some kind of a punishment. So there's your problem, there's your conundrum, as I mentioned before. On the one hand, you have the powerful uh, message of the Parsha, which says, don't ascribe anything to carry, to Mikra, to just a happenstance. On the other hand, you have the other side in which you imitate the three friends of Eov, who say, yeah, I know the reason you did this, because of this and this, and that and that and that. And, you know, you know your film wasn't good, or you didn't keep Shabbos right, or because your sleeves weren't long enough, or oh, a bunch of hundred, hundred other crazy reasons, and they and don't know what they're talking about. Or or maybe uh, Weissmandel's, I mean, I don't know, Weissmandel's right, you can wear 10 pairs of tefillin, if you cheat Geisha customers in business, God could consider that such a big uh, sin, hear what I said? A big sin that it'll wipe out your whole community. You know, who knows? Who knows? So we end up in a state of inability to come up with a reason, even though we, we rebel against the idea that there's no reason. 
and, and the whole point of the Torah is that everything is there's a reason. And it's hard to live with the with, with the understanding that I just described, which is you you you, you want to know reason, but you can't ever find a reason, and you have to really be on guard of the Yitzhahara for putting into your mind a reason, because that'll always be a false reason, it'll always, always be one that's uh, just self-justifying, you know, didn't happen to me, it happened to you, I'm great, you're not great, which is baloney. So these are the ideas, I think they're in battle, and play, whenever you deal with Parsha B'chukosa, especially in our generation. One of the big problems, of course, is the anti-Semitism are coming back. When I was young, you used to hear the story Maybe you heard this, Kleiserberg Rebbe said to somebody, you know, because Kleiserberg was in the concentration camp. He went through all this junk for a year. My father was with him actually in, in, in Dachau at the same time. Anyway, he said to a, somebody who was laning the Tocha, you don't have to go low and you don't have to go fast. The Tocha is over. We already went through it and it'll never happen again. So that was like a nice, I don't know if it's a true story. It might be, by the way, it might be. But whether true story or not, the world don't look like this today, does it? Looks like the anti-Semitism is cyclically reasserting itself. And chas uh, v'shalom, you know. So we no longer have the glib uh, interpretation of Parshish B'chul Kosai with which I grew up. But on the other hand, we don't have a real understanding of the meanings of these historical events. And that's the great problem of the modern times. We don't have novies, and we don't have people who make arguments that are convincing, you know. They're only argue, as soon as the guy said like this, how can you not believe what so and so said? It's not a convincing argument anymore. You're falling back on pressure. You're falling back on uh, on shtick. You know you're not allowed to challenge anybody's uh, thoughts. So uh, then that's not a way of getting truth. That's a way of just of scoring points. They're like Trump or something. You know, it's got nothing to the truth. Just just you want to win. Uh, if that's what things fall down to, then it's pr- then it's pretty bad. The um, uh, prophet Isaiah Yeshayahu Navi says. And this is so true of our times, that uh, if you do this, that, and the other, I'll, I'm going to punish the Jewish people with a punishment that's so bitter that their, ears, their ears will ring. Their ears will ring. Meaning it will be very striking. What is the great punishment that God holds over the, the heads of the Jews at the time that Yeshaya predicts? I think that's how it goes. That the wisdom of the wise will be no, will be will fail them, and the understanding of the Binu people will be busted, which means there will be a profound intellectual bankruptcy, in the sense of the ability to interpret correctly, even the immediate events of their own time, even the immediate events of their own time. But uh, it is a th- th- that's where we're holding. That's where we're holding. Years ago, I was once in Reno's Town Library. A lady came over to me out of nowhere, one of these stupid Jewish women. You know, not from and all that, but that's not what she was stupid. She was stupid because she was stupid. And uh, I had nothing to do with her, but when you stand like me in, in a library with a yarmulke, you're like a magnet, you, you, you attract all the weirdos. And she says, I want you to know that I do not believe in a God that could, uh, you know, bring on the Holocaust. So I was not even in a mood to get in an argument with her, but I said, I guess it's, oh, so you tell me, it just happened for the heck of it? There's no reason whatsoever? You, you feel better with that kind of attitude? Uh, she was all flustered, you know. I don't believe in all that sort of thing. I said, do you deny it happened? Do you think it just happened for the heck of it? You know, there's mom's no reason for it whatsoever. Just somebody was in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's nothing. There's no reason there. You see, she was angry at God, <laughs> which is a different thing altogether than not believing there's a reason. Angry at God, I totally get. 
I grew up with so many people like that. It's perfectly understandable. If somebody went through the horrors of the Holocaust and they saw Hashem took away this and it made them suffer that and they killed their children, killed their wives, of course, that's, that's perfectly, you know, that's a human emotion that's 100% understandable. person says, I don't believe there's a reason for it in the first place. That's a different story. Many people, at least in my lifetime, have gone around saying, I don't believe in God because of the Holocaust. I mean, what they really mean is, I believe in God, but I'm angry for what he did. That is already a, a madrega, you understand? But to sit there, like I say, in, in, in fancy America or Israel, everything is safe, and say, I can now judge why all these other people went through all these horrors. And you say, really? And I say, yeah, that's what it is. And then if you say, how do you know? And I think you're not telling the truth. They get all flustered. As soon as they get flustered, it's a sign that they're full of baloney. We live in such times. But anyway, that's just a few ideas I wanted to share with you on this very difficult Parsha. Not difficult to understand, but difficult to interpret within the context of our own immediate lifetimes and the immediate past. With that, I will say, have a good weekend. Have a good Shabbos. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.